now. Hey guys, welcome back to Yo-Yo's Tide. On this episode, I have Abby and we're going to be talking about mental health. I want Abby to tell you more about herself. Abby, introduce yourself to the listeners. Sure. Hi, my name is Abby Sharpless. I host a podcast called The Abby Normal Podcast, um, spelled like abnormal. I am, I guess I'm from Durham, North Carolina, so I'm from the States and I went to college for recreational therapy. So most of my life was spent being in healthcare or focusing on serving my patients. And um, I minored in psychology. So actually my first job coming out of school was working in a psychiatric hospital. Um, And now I've moved on from healthcare and now I work within customer service, but I personally have had a long journey with my mental health. Um, which I'm sure I'll dive more into as, as we get into it. But this, I would say I'm on my sixth or seventh year of, of therapy and psychiatric help of myself. So that gives a, a small sample of my story. Yeah. <laughs> as you can see, Abby is an expert, more of an expert on this than I am. Like, definitely. I've not been on this journey for seven years. I would say, like, I've been navigating uh, mental health, like, acknowledge like like I've had mental health issues for a while but acknowledging it I think two years that was when I really Mm -hmm. like past two years was when I really acknowledged it and kind of understood that what was going on was mental health and identifying the issues in in my life and talk I'm learning to speak them out so yeah and this episode is very much about the intersection of mental health blackness and faith because I think those three things make mental health, those two things make men, mental health so, so unique um, mm-hmm. in the black community. And I think in the Christian community, there is a treat, there is a, I think it, um, mental health is handled terribly, but I do yeah. think mental <laughs> health in general is handled terribly. But I think in those communities, especially, I think it is handled in a way that does not make me comfortable and does not, mm speak to my understanding of who Jesus is and what the Bible Mm. says. Mm -hmm. Uh, Abby, I just wanted you to, what do you think? Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think there are, there's definitely layers to it. Mental health on its own has been something because it's a sickness of the mind for so long, it wasn't respected or appreciated and it was um, not given proper resource to. And so that in and of itself, just the beginning of, seeking out mental health services, that's a new journey for society in general. Then beyond that, being Christian and looking into mental health services where it's now there's this weird layer of shame added to it. It's it's stereotyped as, you know, that's of the devil and letting the devil control your mind. Um, and there's kind of false narrative around it. And so then when you add other contextual factors of like being a woman with mental health problems where you're supposed to be the mind of the family and then you're adding in the stereotypes or gender roles that Christianity adds to the woman where we're supposed to hold it down and we're supposed to be the ones who are always loving and kind and joyful. Um, So mental health doesn't fit with that box that we're supposed to be in. And then you add being black on top of it where it's like to be black is to be (laughs) within some sort of mental health construct, you know, uh, or struggle, I should say. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Like I, I remember having a conversation with, um, I had a teacher who had just witnessed a uh, suicide in London and she had like, she was traumatized, completely traumatized and completely like broken. And one of my oh. friends just did not understand like why she was so broken by that event. Like, it was weird. It was more like, I don't know. It was more, she was like, why? She didn't understand mental health and like, didn't understand it. And she's not even a Christian. She's just like, like, just a regular person and didn't understand mental health at all. And like, I was explaining to her that like, until in the UK, until like the 1960s, I don't know about America, we were still, um, we were still, if you, if you failed to commit suicide, you were sent to prison, like mental health was treated. Yes, you were sent to prison. Um, Until the 60s, we thought meant like mental illnesses were a a, a curse from the devil like like that was just the general whether you were secular or not there was a general like idea that it was a curse from the devil if you had a mental illness it was from the devil and I right. think and it still exists in certain parts I'm like I'm originally Nigerian there's still an idea of like mental health you need to cast out demons when it comes to mental health and I don't think I don't I, I, I don't personally I I think there are things which are spiritual, and I also think there are things which are just mental health, and I, I think mm-hmm. those things are mutually mm-hmm. exclusive. I don't know about you. Yeah, so I think there's, there's a lot to unpack because you said so many essential things. Number one is the history behind mental health. So I think at least here uh, in America, I can't speak too much on like dates and whatnot, but I just know as far as how mental health was treated, and it still kind of is today, Going to a psychiatric hospital was going to a prison, essentially. I mean, you were treated as animals. It was seen as a a freak show. Um, Quite literally, they would sometimes put people in the circus to like, if they were experiencing anything. And schizophrenia was seen as possession by the devil. So it was, I mean, people would actually do, um, what's it called, like, like you see in those horror movies where they like call the priest to demand the demon out of somebody. Like that's not an insane thing that happened and not that far away ago um, in our history. And so for a long time, psychiatric hospitals didn't have any regulations to them. And so people experienced heavy abuse in them. And that was the stereotype around what mental health was. And then when that came into like the movie and media world, the first example of, I think I I learned this in a psych class once before, I think like the first depiction of a a man with schizophrenia, I believe was one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something like that. But basically the film treats him like he is possessed by a demon. I mean, that's how it is. The, The stereotypes around them is like they're deranged, they're aggressive, they're evil, they're some, you know, it's always some haunted horror movie type of thing. And it's this extreme exaggeration, oftentimes, of what mental health can look like. And then even for severe cases of mental health, they're not acknowledging all the many factors, like environmental factors that go into that, financial resources that go into that. Those greatly impact your mental health overall. People who are in low socioeconomic circumstances, by insane numbers, are more likely for schizophrenia, depression, anxiety disorders, eating disorders. I mean... The list goes on. So I think there's this lingering stereotype and stigma 
against mental health. And so now even in our generation where we're starting to take some initiative, we're starting to learn about mental health and understand like, oh, this really affects a lot. I mean, you can have diabetes in response to your mental health, like physical health relates to it. There's still so much fear for, for someone to even step up and say, hey, I have a problem. I for years didn't speak up about having mental health disorders. And I had issues starting when I was in elementary school of suicidal thoughts and things when I was a child. And for years, I kept that as a secret. I used to have panic attacks almost every night for a couple of years in high school. Didn't tell anyone for years because it was just so much shame in the idea of you didn't pray it away. You know, like you must not be talking to God enough if you have a problem. Yeah. I honestly agree with you. I, this, this was where, cause with me and mental health, I like, I had like really bad mental health issues. And what I understood was that if I had really bad mental health issues, it wasn't mental health. It was, I needed to pray to God. Like I needed to mm-hmm. pray as hard as possible. And God, I prayed, like I prayed. And the first time <laughs> yes. I prayed, and God answered, like the first time, like God answered, like, directly and he like soothed me and he showed me a way to like get through my mental health right and then the second time it happened I prayed and I heard silence and I was just like god you answered me before why aren't you answering now mm-hmm. and I can and then it I didn't realize that I had I hadn't been practicing what I preached because the first time after the first time me of a friend of mine um, started studying about, she should probably be listening, but she started studying about mental health and Christianity and talking about, and she basically talked about how you can, you how you can have a mental health illness and also be very spiritually strong. And those th- two things I thought were mutually exclusive because of my experience. And then the second time I was like, I'm spiritually strong, but I'm still struggling with mental illness. And it wasn't until I realized that just because my I am spiritually strong does not mean my mental health is going to be strong. It does not mean that I can handle, like, I was, I was always stuck on this thing of God will not give me more than I can handle. Let me pray about it. Let me just get it out. And then it was, and then I realized, yeah, God will not give me more than my, I can handle, but I'm handling it alone. Like I shouldn't be handling this. I should be talking to someone about this. I should be talking to people I love. I should be talking to a therapist. I should be getting in contact with the people who can help me. I shouldn't just be crying to God. Like God works through people, whether we like it or not. Right. It's it's kind of the example of, okay, God will not give you more than you can handle. We use it for the example of like a physical health problem. So there is um, when even when the Jews have to leave Egypt and they're starving, they're left in the community, they have no food, they have nothing. God provides manna. They can't just survive. You know, he's not just going to ask them to live off of nothing at all. He literally makes food fall from the sky because some substance, some resource at the end of the day is needed to keep yourself going. There is, he he will provide so many outlets for you. And so that's kind of the way that I look at mental health. I kind of like, I felt the same way before. I thought the two concepts to be spiritually sound and to be mentally sound had to go together. If I'm not mentally sound, then I am not spiritually sound. And so I always was thinking there was so much more shame and guilt that added to my mental health. I felt even worse. And then I would fall deeper into depression because I'm thinking I'm far from God right now. That's the worst thing that I could do. 
So not only is my mind not working with me, I'm feeling low about myself. My confidence is already shot. I'm feeling like, gosh, am I not doing what I'm supposed to, am I not praying right? Am I not talking to him loud enough? Like, is he suddenly not hearing me anymore? What am I doing wrong? And then I had to think about it like, Am I ignoring the manna on the ground? Like, is he, am I begging? Am I starving? Am I saying, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Help me, help me, please. And he's like, I literally provided all the resources for the help. I gave you the hammer and the nail, build it. <laughs> you, you want a house, build it. You know, it's kind of like that. So I had to realize, one, assuming that my mental health meant I was away from God worsened my mental health in and of itself. So that's not how God works. God doesn't punish you for contemplating on him. God doesn't punish you for seeking him out more. So that wouldn't make sense. Why would my yearning for him punish me in a way that, that, that concept didn't work. And so when I looked at it in another perspective, I was like the same thought. I realized I'm begging God to suddenly solve a problem that I'm doing nothing to work on. I wasn't getting help. I wasn't speaking to a therapist. I wasn't even speaking to friends. I wasn't reading any resources. I wasn't practicing any meditation wasn't on the table. I wasn't teaching myself um, body regulation. I mean, working out anything to help myself. I'm sitting here praying and I'm basically in a way telling God what he had to do to prove himself to me, which is, and now I'm asking, I'm almost testing him. I'm saying, if I feel this way, you have to suddenly snap your fingers and make me feel better tomorrow or you're not listening to me or you're not, you're not real. You're not helping me. And God never responds to a test. So it's no wonder he got quieter and quieter. Every time I'm asking him, Hey, show up. Where are you right now? I need you in this immediate moment to fix this, make this problem disappear. And I'm not, I'm not helping him. I'm not listening to the resources he's already given me. Sorry, my cat keeps like, yeah, no, it's cool. But you hit, hit the nail on the head. And it wasn't until like, when I was going through my struggle and I reread my friend's article, like it's on my blog, like I'm going to put it under, like when I upload this, I'm going to put it under, I'm going to link it. It's a really okay. good blog post. When I initially posted it, I posted it as like more of a, like showing a view that I didn't agree with, but like, this is a Christian view. I don't agree with it, but you can look at it. And then I looked at it after I went through my mental health issues and I was just there, like, you are preaching. I should have been listening to you earlier. <laughs> you are honestly preaching. What you're saying is so right here. And it was, and then I, and then to go into the topic of faith and mental health and how people of faith handle it really badly. Um, I remember I was speaking to a friend of mine who's like agnostic and she had met with like a pre someone who was preaching on the street and she was like, and she really like was really into it. Like what the lady was preaching, she was hearing the gospel. She was like, she was like really feeling it. And I was so happy, like the smile on my face when she said, oh, I got really into this lady. But then, and then she ended the story with like, yeah, cause the lady was talking about her mental health issues and how God helped her with her mental health and like how going to church and being around people helped her with her mental health. And I like really related to that cause I want that community. I want that love. I want that kindness. And then she ended the story with saying, oh, but the lady ended it with like, oh, but I still believe that people who commit suicide are going to hell. And she ended it like that. And obviously my, obviously the person who like was really like feeling it was like, no. Like she came to me after she was like, she was like, yeah. Like, how do you feel about this? I was just uh, like, um, I was like, she should not have handled it in that way. And it really right. broke my heart that she 
witnessed like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I was wondering what your opinion was on that like generally so as far as the topic of anything saying this x y and z sends you to hell frankly we're not god so I think the number one and that's the whole premise of my podcast is when we sit here and try to play judgment day we're going to fail every time because concepts of the earth don't even exist outside of the earth. <laughs> so, so what it is, I mean, if you, if you really want to blow up your mind and in, in, in that thought, you know, if we're only physics and matter, what is it to lie to somebody? What is it to kill? What is it to be gay? What is it? I mean, we can't really define those things outside of societal factors, outside of environmental factors. I mean, we, we put our own definitions and assumptions on what these things are and what they mean. And so God is what we're supposed to contemplate on and hope he guides our spirit towards what we should be doing with our own lives. If you listen, I kind of stand on the belief of if you abide by what you feel you should do for yourself, he is, I have enough faith to trust that he can emerge himself within your consciousness strong enough. And scripture supports that. Scripture states you don't ever have to read the word of the Bible or hear it from another man to still receive the word of God. So that's true. I, I, I can't sit here and say, any one thing is a guaranteed ticket to heaven or hell. I, I don't know what God speaks to a person. I cannot guarantee that. But I will say suicide and, and, and now we want to go into like, okay, well, we are going to try to argue the topic off of the scripture that we do have and the, the historical context and like even back down to before Christianity fully emerged and we were still working with the Catholic church. Even then, it's never firmly been decided one way or another because suicide happens in response to something else. Suicide can be caused because of a mental health disorder. Suicide can be caused because you feel there's literally no other option for your life. If you're about to be tortured and the option is to be tortured to death or to take yourself out, you're going to die one way or the other. Is it still suicide if you take the, le- the, the path of least resistance? You know. So I think when we're thinking about the loss of life in general, we have to look at why the life was taken. If I took my life because my mind was so distorted and I was not receiving any help, that's a sickness. That's the same as cancer. To, to me, that is as equivalent as if I die tomorrow because my blood sugar dropped too low. My mental health can do that to my body. It makes me suffer. It, it, may, it brings an ache and it, it literally is an ailment. Your brain is an organ, just like your heart, just like your stomach and all of these other things. It can get sick. And it can work against you. So when we look at it in that route, I mean, what are you defining as suicide? And did I take my life or did a sickness take over me and I did not receive the help that could have helped me to maybe save my life? If I have cancer and I don't get chemo, you know, that's the same as if I have severe mental health problems and I'd never get a therapist. I never get just, is this making sense? Am I? Yeah. You know, everything you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like I was about to repeat exactly what you just said, but like, <laughs> not, not as well. Like, in a yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like when that particular conversation hurt me for two levels, it was first of all, like, as you said, like, stating definitive theology on things that do that there isn't a definite a definitive theology and that's something that very annoys that annoys me as someone who loves Mm. to study the bible and loves to study theology as 
as much as possible and mm-hmm. so I didn't like that aspect of it I also didn't like the aspect of it of not considering it um, um, suicide as a product of a sickness I also didn't like the way she witnessed and the way she right. put someone away from Christianity and I think it just got me down to the way the church has dealt with mental illness and mm-hmm. how the church has instead of stretch I think the church has done the same thing to many groups I think the church did it to black people for a long time it is doing it to gay people um regardless of how you feel on the topic it does it mm-hmm. to um other members of the lgbtq community it does it it does it to women it's done it to mm-hmm. many other groups and in it's basically ostracized them as not, and not made a community for them it's not made uh it's not made a family the way god describes a church should t- to be a supportive right. family and I feel like the church isn't a supportive family for people struggling with mental illness just like it's not for those who uh, the members of those other groups mm-hmm. I think what you said was so important it essentially when someone says suicide innately is you just that's a selfish choice and it sends you to hell one it says it was a choice it says that you had a say in the matter which greatly undermines the effects of mental health disorders. That tells me that you don't see it as a sickness because if I were to come to you tomorrow and use the example, like cancer is a great one because when I say it all the time, because the effects that cancer can have on your body is the same effects that mental health can have on your body. Check my facts. If if you disagree with that, give me me a symptom (laughs) that you cannot see other than literally cells mutating, which even that, has been shown to relate to mental health. And there's research for all of it. When I bring to you that I say I had cancer and that caused a loss in my life, if a family member died of it, there's no doubt to that. There's immediate sympathy and understanding. But when I bring health, te- if, I, if I say, oh, they, they committed suicide in response to years of a, of a deep clinical depression or whatever it might be, that literally can feed on your body. I mean, have insane effects on you. You can lose your hair, you can, your skin can change. I mean, it affects you on deep levels. And you telling me mm, you committed suicide because you chose that. No, they could they committed suicide because they chose that. You completely undermined the value of sickness and disease. It's it's uh, it's the same with like alcoholism or substance abuse. Working in a psychiatric hospital, I can tell you firsthand. These people are desperate to choose anything else. If I, it's not a preferred choice to stay depressed. <laughs> it's not the preferred choice to stay anxious. People are fighting literally for their lives when they work against these diseases and there are resources to help, but sometimes they don't get enough. It is just like any other ailment. And so when you respond to me with that, basic, I, I see why you got upset. I see why that shut you off because you just told me you devalued my entire experience. You just told me about myself. That's like telling me I'm not black. You don't get to find that for me. I know what I have and I know what I am in my experience, right? So in the same way, I think now talking about the church, the church has spent years creating this depiction of the perfect person that gets sent to heaven, that gets the admission ticket. And instead of focusing on scripture about grace, which if you identify as a Christian, the whole New Testament is built. Based on the, the principle concept. of grace. <laughs> the grace, forget of saying, 
the, the, the Old Testament is, hey, I tried to let y'all have this. Y'all ain't doing it right. <laughs> let me send somebody in to say, okay, you're not going to do it right. I guarantee you won't do it right. So I'm going to go ahead and die for all of you. Because I can do it right. <laughs> I can do it right. I'm the only one that can. I am the pure sacrifice. And so now when I say I'm adopting your sin, I'm telling you I'm adopting the sin that is happening now and the ha that will come. That will is guaranteed to come. I will take that on because you're not going to get it right. I think I was at my scripture pulled out. There's one that literally tells you, I'm telling you now that this is going to happen and yet you're going to do it anyways. And like that's, yeah. that's the whole concept of it. And so when you have this concept of grace that's supposed to be so strong, yet the church focuses on this like Old Testament view of, we have to have the perfect practices. It's almost like we got to fall into this ritual of the, you got to do from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. You've got to be doing the right thing to get this admission ticket. That deletes the entire value of Jesus. That deletes his storyline. That takes away glory from him, which in and of itself is, I mean, that, that goes against praising God entirely. We're supposed to do everything to glorify him. And so when you're taking, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling on, but do you see no, 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 I get where you're coming from. Like, I honestly, like everything you're saying is like preaching. Like I, as you're saying it, I'm really, really good because it's just, <laughs> it's, I don't know. Maybe you can explain. Maybe you can explain it more because I see it more with American Christian. American Christianity is unique in the way it's very like American evangelical Christianity is very unique in the way it's it's emphasis. It has an emphasis on perfection, like evangelical Christianity in general, because I was raised in evangelical partially, but I also was raised in the Church of England. And in the Church of England, there isn't this idea of perfection, like people aren't trying to hit perfection there's a lot more grace and a lot more kindness and a lot more mm -hmm. tolerance in evangelical church no in um in um church of england because i i you can go to a church of england and you'll see a homeless person sitting right next to a billionaire and no one cares while in a, the evangelical church there is still this hierarchy of in of like holiness like this the man at the top right. The right. holy man at the top, the right. holy woman there, the uh, the heathen at the bottom. Like, <laughs> I yeah. and I never understood it because I always, I just don't think the church should be. Um, I don't remember what's the saying about the saints, like um, a gathering for saints instead mm -hmm. of uh, a home for sinners. Yes, that's the mm -hmm. saying. That was yeah. It should be a home for sinners instead of a gathering of saints because Absolutely. whether you like it or not. They these people aren't saints. There, no one is exactly. No one is a saint, and that's why it's become such a big problem when these people get into scandals or mm -hmm. they, because we have we have basically made these people into idols instead of worshiping who we truly should worship. Because we are worshiping man. That's why when they fall, we're like wow. But when if we had had our focus on Jesus the whole time, we would have known that these people are going to fall because they were created by him. <laughs> right, right. Just see, I can I can tell this conversation has already been anointed over because that's exactly where I was going to take it. I literally wrote down idolization on my piece of paper. So <laughs> like that's the direction I was going. But to dive, dive back into your first kind of question slash comment about the difference between the American church. Well, there's a list of reasons as to why, and part of it is historical. I mean, 
colonization was a big piece of this transformation from for what Christianity looks like today. And I actually just released an episode about this um, in a way because I was talking about discipleship and like where mission work came into play and why, because mission work isn't quite ethical these days. We've messed with a lot of untouched communities and brought a lot of sickness and oppression to other communities. And so I was diving back into the why we do that. Um, And so that also explains partially this, why do we have this perfect figure? And that's where the church kind of works from. So it starts with to oppress another group, you have to elate your group. You have to make yourself look better than so they can seem less than. That's the only way it, it works. So what colonizers did was they used scripture because at the time that was the reason for expansion. Um, when when uh, Columbus came to America, that was a part of a part of a, a Spanish exploration under. I'm, I don't want to get too far into the history of it, but basically under all these kings and rulers who were trying to spread. Catholicism at the time. That was that was what it was kind of based under. Um, if you ever heard of like Charlemagne, Charlemagne the Great, that was that began that empire, that Roman Empire began this spread of regions under the light of spreading faith. So we were conquering more lands because it was and it was said to be okay because we were spreading the word. That was the point. We're going to these lands to help redeem them. And so this idea of like mission work got emphasized and whereas the Bible before was more about um, the, an established church didn't even exist. It was more like speakers come by and just we're trying to build up the community. It was supposed to be the community helps the community. It was more supportive of each other and a leaning on kind of concept. And then it became, no, we're better. Any other place that's not doing what we're doing or believing what we believe is worse. They're, they're heathens or they're barbarians and we have to go save them. And so then that creates this, literally this like white figure, this white figure of purity and like perfection that was supposed to be achieved. And so then when America was came and, and, and taken over and there's this whole war against the indigenous peoples and then over Mexico, that was continued, that, that rhetoric was, well, we're doing this because they need us to do this. We are better than these people and we have to. And it's under the, it's all under the scope of, unfortunately, Catholicism. That was the ruling uh, faith at the time, which became Christianity. Um, so that leads to, to this day, the roots of our church is we're better than these people. Slaves were kept as slaves. That was one method of, of keeping slaves from running away. It was to teach them about Christianity. You went, they wouldn't teach them how to read, wouldn't teach them how to write, so they couldn't read scripture because scripture is about grace. Scripture is about we're all equal. So they didn't want that. But they were like, we'll tell you there's this God. And to get into heaven, you need to follow these rules and be just like this. And basically, so if you ran away, you're disobedient to your master and now you're going to hell. And so again, reinforcing this we're better, we're the elite, be like us, and that might be your ticket into heaven, which also says it's your ticket to staying oppressed and less than us on earth. And so that led to this like perpetual just image that we've held onto of what this perfect person looks like. But the truth is it never existed. It was made up. It never was. It was constructed. It was created. It's a lie. The whole thing is a facade. The reason we did the expansion in the first place Charlemagne was evil. He killed, he slaughtered people. He didn't care about his religion. He cared about 
power and land. And all of this is spiraling from those two, those constructs. But the church doesn't want to let it go because it allows certain people to have this sense of power. For example, white people and men. And so who are the main people who lead a church? For the longest time, and still currently, it's believed that women can't be a pastor. That's not scriptural. That is not true. That's not scriptural. And like, I'm, I'm so sorry. There's a post on my blog about this. Mm-hmm. I have gone into this deep. Like, I have gone into this. I have read the Bible. I have analyzed it. Like, I really did my research. I did. I looked That's- at both sides. And honestly, I honestly believe it is. You do not understand the spirit of the Bible if you are saying women cannot preach. I, I, I won't go into it. I won't go into this in this <laughs> podcast because it will be a very long one. The episode, girl. We got good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. But- Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what you said really links into my next point about um, about blackness and the idea of suffering, because mm-hmm. I, that's very because I think I I love history too, so I understand. There's this idea. There was this innate idea that blackness and suffering needed to be synonymous, and right. I think that has carried on to this day, especially with mental health illness and even general healthcare, like the um, the black mortality rate in America, um, maternal mortality rates in America, in the UK, the fact that black people are more likely to die to die from coronavirus, um, mm-hmm. the fact that we're more um, we're more likely to get diabetes in the UK. Mm-hmm. I don't know about America. Um, oh, my <laughs> Die from di- diabetes. Like three times or something. Like yeah, that. and it's not like. For, it's not like it's not like black people and white people like don't have the same like body like they don't have this it's that I think the only make the main difference is melanin and some other like var- variants based on like climate and like yeah um, yeah climate but I don't really want to go into racial science but <laughs> <laughs> um it's so there aren't that many variations between white and black people so why are the healthcare outcomes so different even in mental health Mm -hmm. so they are vastly different and I think and I think it's because black black for a long time the world has pushed on to black people and black women especially that suffering is okay you're okay to suffer in silence the Mm -hmm. the idea of the strong black woman is rooted in the idea of so we're gonna put society is gonna put all this pressure on you but you are strong enough to fight it and I think for a long time I was like I have to be the strong black woman but then I mm-hmm. realized to be a strong black woman I had to realize I had to be able to say I'm weak yeah. and that was the first that was the first time I realized I was truly strong as a black woman because I was mm-hmm. able to say I am weak it's when you change your perspective on what it I think number one what does strength actually mean And so if you look at it from a biblical perspective, strength was always represented as how much can you, however much you do not have, all the things that keep you away from God, but yet it's that constant pursuit towards him. That is, that is their measurement of redemption, basically. So like the woman who's the prostitute, you married, 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 crying on his feet and, and God's like, oh, she has the most to give me. She gave the least money and she was the prostitute. But, and the disciples are like, why are you, why are you so excited for her to come to you? It's because she had the least in her hands, but the most desire to continue to seek out Christ. Because when you have the least, that's when it's the hardest. When you're down and you're depressed, the last thing you want to do is have hope. 
is to continue to try and to continue to be thankful and have gratitude. It's almost insane. It's almost impossible, it feels like. So the least that I have or ill-equipped I am to be thankful, if I'm rich, if everything's easy for me, if my family is all healthy, I'm sure it is easy for me to walk into the church and be like, it's a great day. Thank you, Lord. That thank you, Lord, means about two cents. But if I come in and my family is suffering, my community suffers daily. I'm seeing people who look like my father get killed in the street. I see my family. It's hard for people in my community to get fed healthy food. I'm, 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 I'm suffering from the weight of this mental health, the mental health effects of how we're treated in society and how whatever else I might be going through. And yet I still walk into that same church and I still say, thank you, Lord, because I'm here. I'm still making it. My thank you means 10 times more. And so that to me is strength. That's what, that's the, that's the amazing, like, oh, wow, that's the, that's closer to a saint um, in my mind. And so if we view it like that, all of a sudden this stereotype that this narrative, like you said, that it's black people are supposed to suffer. That that makes you humble. That makes you, you know, that that's the, that's what you're supposed to do. You bear that load and you and you humbly carry it quietly. No, that says you don't trust God to have provided you a, a proper community to support you. That means that you idolized yourself in a way because you think all of a sudden you can play God and you can manage way more <laughs> than He ever asked you to. You're undermined. You're not being truly thankful to him for the resources he has to offload this, this weight. You know what I'm saying? You're taking away the opportunity to glorify him. If I don't say, if I don't go seek out help in therapy, I never see the progress I can make. Therefore, there's that last seven years I've been, six years of therapy I've done, I, I lose the thankfulness that I have for that because I never gave that load to God. If I didn't go seek out help in college and tell my friends I'm suffering, and watch my friends lean on me, watch my friends hold me in nights, watch some of my friends save my life literally from suicidal attempts. I have people who've saved my life. The gratitude that I carry every day because of that, I give to God every day. I'm so thankful he, he, he offered them to me. I take away the opportunity for that gratitude when I don't wanna unload, when I don't wanna seek out that help. I completely agree, unloading is the key. But I think also society has like a way of like gaslighting black women when we un- offload. Um, mm-hmm. An example of this in my personal life was I, I remember I was having like a really a crisis of faith, like of like, I believe in God, but like I have to wrestle with the fact that I would not be a Christian if a white man hadn't told my ancestors that everything about them was wrong down to the color of their skin and to right. the God that they serve. And for a long time, I was like, oh my God, that's the reason you're a Christian. Then you are following a colonial and regressive mm-hmm. religion. And for a long time, I was like, you're so, you're anti-colonialist and you're so, pro, you're pan-Africanist, you're anti-colonialist. Right. But at the same time, you're saying you're a Christian. Like these, <laughs> two, these are oxymorons because all the pan-Africanists I knew, like contemporary pan-Africanists generally are like very anti-colonial and they're also not christian like they may have been baptized but they're like not practicing christian anymore and so for a while i was like am am i pandering out and i said and i basically had like i blurted it out to a friend of mine and he was and he and he just laughed cynically like he was 
he was white and English and like he just laughed and was like oh like wh- why are you so sensitive like why are you so like why are you so sensitive about things like that and it was weird because it was like something that was actually hurting my mental illness my mm-hmm. mental health and really hurting me and putting me down but this person was like it's nothing you, you, you're just yeah. backing over nothing but that's like that used to be that's like the very foundation of my faith like if I don't accept that I have I I basically I'm accepting a false idea of my I have to I have to accept all of it I have to accept the good the bad the the stuff the stuff Mm. I don't like and me and I couldn't just ignore it and Mm. like and he just made it seem like I could just ignore it and I didn't ignore I I did I don't ignore it I I still don't ignore it I just I found an explanation for it that those people are not worshipping the Jesus I'm worshipping. The Jesus I'm worshipping was not a colonialist. The Jesus I'm worshipping was loved all people equally. The Jesus I'm worshipping did not believe in in hierarchy or patriarchy or um, white supremacy. So I I had to like separate those very ideas and decolonize my faith. And that and it was that conversation which kind of pushed pushed me back like it made me like think oh my problems are stupid but then I had it was until I had a second conversation with someone else who was like no your problems aren't stupid and they basically let me speak it out and I I just want to say to like black women struggling with mental health don't let people gaslight you don't like your your struggles are valid you can say if something is hurting you you can say it like People, people should not gaslight you. People should not silence you. Um, I don't know. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Okay, there's, there's two pieces to that. Um, I'll address the mental health and being gaslit part and secondly, but first, just quick tangent as far as colonialism and bringing into the Christian faith. That is a huge conversation. I'm not going to dive all the way into it, but I will say, I think I made an episode even about this. One. I, I wrestled with that too. Um, that was a big, that, that weighed on my mental health greatly, especially being someone who like, I work in diversity, equity and inclusion now. I like am in a historically black sorority. I'm like, that was a big part of my identity was being a person of color. And I'm, and I'm, I'm biracial and my, my mother's white, my father's black, but when my mother married my father, she was disowned from her, her family. So I don't know my white family. So like fighting against this, racism and the history behind it was a huge piece of my whole self and so thinking that the bigger piece of myself my faith the biggest piece of myself was a product of the thing that I stand the most against was such a conundrum but then if you look into the history number one black people had the faith first (laughs) so let me just put that out there it started around with with Jerusalem being around Egypt that is black, that's people of color had it first, okay? And then it was stolen and it was weaponized. That goes into the whole Charlemagne, that whole Roman empire, that whole that whole storyline. And then it was regurgitated back to us in this false narrative, now mumble jumbled and lied to, to oppress us. And that goes into what I just spoke on a minute ago, of this, that whole image thing. So number one, you're faith did not come from a white man colonizer. It was regurgitated to you by him, but it was not gifted by him. God came to us the proper way the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I have to think about having my faith more like if I'm a prisoner and the person who imprisoned me steals my food from a loving family that baked it and then brings it to me as scraps, 
My prisoner did not make that food. My food is still good. My food still came with love. It was stolen and just given back to me. <laughs> so that's kind of how, to, how I view that storyline. So that was one piece, which just wanted your listeners to know. There's an, If you're interested in that, go learn about it. It's not actually true. But two, yes, being gaslit, I think, her, for one, as women, that happens all the time. And as Black women, to have any sort of problem, you're seen as aggressive, you're seen as angry, you're seen as bitter, you're automatically a problem for everybody else. We're in everybody else's way, and we're a nuisance. And the only reason it's seen that way is because that what we need, we've been oppressed so much by these other groups, it would cause them to have to sacrifice some of their power and their comfort to acknowledge our grievances. To acknowledge, if they, if I were to acknowledge you, Yo-Yo, in that in that conversation, a white man and white English man to say, that is a hard thing to wrestle with. Would mean he'd have to also acknowledge that I'm the white man, I'm the result of the colonizer himself, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that uncomfortable with my ancestral history. So I can't acknowledge yours, and I can't value the effects that it has on you, or that it's left on your whole family, and that the people who like you said, there's so many Pan-African or, or anybody who stands on the side of racial, you know, like bringing up the, the Black community who separate from the faith, they now suffer because they sacrifice what is the best resource that we do have because the devil was so creative when he let the white man regurgitate it to us. The devil's favorite tool is to quote scripture. That's how he got Eve to eat the fruit. It was from scripture. That doesn't mean- Try to do it with Jesus, he failed. Like, he, <laughs> like people don't know that the, like Apostle said this that I find really funny. Like I keep it till the day. He said, there's only one thing the devil can't do, can't do that you can do. He said, it's pray. Every single other thing you can do, the devil can do. He can quote the Bible. He can sing. He can dance. He can do everything you can do. The only thing he can't do is pray. And like, I think people forget that the devil knows how to, knows the Bible. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, okay, think of it this way. When a lawyer, there's two people who are arguing a case. Both lawyers are using the same law. But only one of them will come up right and one of them will come up as guilty. So it's the same thing with the devil. He's got the same book. He's got the same resource. He knows the same God. He has the same point of reference. He can make it seem as evil and vindictive and terrible as he wants it to with the same baseline. We get this opportunity, though, to have this direct communication with the source, the one who originally, the original author. And have that conversation like you said the only gift he doesn't have is prayer so we have to take advantage of that communication line so i think the stereotype against mental health that has rooted from scripture that doesn't mean anything you can take scripture and make it and weaponize it watch look at american politics today i'm sorry i don't want to get too political but you can't sit here and tell me donald trump is christianity oh my god thank you <laughs> thank you i i I'm 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 very tempted to do an episode on a famous Christian people people who mm -hmm. defend who use the who defend Trump um and say that he's more godly and so on and so forth and I just I I I get I get one of the reasons they go for Trump is the abortion issue and that is multifaceted I've done a blog post on it please read it 
I did my research and I'm going to publish uh, an essay, uh, an essay I wrote like a year ago where I completely analyzed the American abortion debate completely. Oh, and I'm going to publish it. Please like, please read it. I've already published my views on abortion. I've already said that. And I think a lot of people like they hear someone quoting the Bible or they hear someone holding a Bible and they think he's a Christian. And for me, and for me, it's it's especially annoying in American politics because I also see it in Nigerian politics where mm-hmm. I'm from. I see it from where I'm from because I rem- a few years ago, a presidential candidate only got voted for because he knelt down and prayed with a, a famous pastor. That was the only reason people voted for him because they were like, see, now we have a godly man in, in, in the yeah. office and he still embezzled money. He still, <laughs> he still contributed to, to corruption. He still did horrible things and... It's just so weird how like people can say people people can be like oh he's a Christian, let me follow him when I'm like. Mm-hmm. The irony is, Scripture tells you this is a narrow path, few will walk it. Yet Christianity is the number one religion <laughs> next to what Islam. Yeah. So, so if the majority of people in the world are within claiming the faith. But you know it's a narrow path, and God already told you majority of people are not in the faith. That means there's going to be some false claimers. There has to be a lot of posers. Because matter of fact, he's telling you right now the majority of the people claiming this faith are not actually bearing the faith. It's scripture to say, too. Um, I think, what is it, in Romans, maybe, when a, a scripture about basically there's a lot of people who are claiming they know me. But there are Gentiles who know me better. Also, the ones who abide their consciousness know me better, basically. And so there is this whole, like, poser in these people. And so that's where that idolization comes back into play and why it's so important. When you sit there and think that there's this perfect image of what a Christian is, even when you idolize the pastor, we're not supposed to do that. For one, you're not even supposed to have established churches to avoid the idolization of one person speaking to you. They will make mistakes. They will fall. So when they do that, if your face was projected onto that person and not onto what they're preaching about and recognizing they're only able to do exactly what you Yo-Yo can do what I, as Abigail, can do, which is share my testimony and my perspective of what I read and what God chose to communicate to me. That I, That's limited within my biases, my cultural experience, my perspective, just like a pastor, just like a politician, just like anybody else. They're, they're just regurgitating what they hear or what they chose to believe. That does not make them right or God or some appointed saint. Yeah. <laughs> and when they get the opportunity to, to false claim as a representative of the faith. When you have someone in that position, like a Donald Trump, how dangerous that is to our faith. That's why I started my podcast. I was like, there is so much false. That's why I started my blog too, because I uh, know, yeah. you know, what's really ironic was that it was, it was actually my atheist best friend who said to me, she said, Honest, because uh, I I had just I had just watched. Uh, I'm gonna say her name. I'm really sorry to say her mm-hmm. name on this podcast. Sadie Robinson, who had um, endorsed Donald Trump, and I really love Sadie Robinson. I still love her. Like I still think she's so cool and like such a cool woman of faith. But mm-hmm. I remember watching her. Like I was like, she's so cool. And then I googled her. She's like endorsed Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and it broke my heart. Like you mm-hmm. don't know the way my heart sunk because I mm-hmm. thought Donald Trump was a complete complete no, <laughs> to what I believe Jesus was 
and I said to my friend why is it like why do I whenever I see a really good Christian like they all they always seem to have like something like they always seem to like either be like politically conservative which I'm not and mm-hmm. which and I didn't like the the re, I, I didn't it was before I took American politics and I put yeah. the, the connection between conservatism and um and evangelicalism in America mm-hmm. so um this was before that and I said I don't understand why they all like they all support these people who I just think <laughs> are just not palatable with my faith and she's like right. why don't you why don't you, uh, why can't we have a Christian representative who's like who's like free th- who who thinks who thinks who thinks freely who thinks like with who thinks with critical thinking and like with the like in right. the spirit of Jesus and she was like why can't that be you like why can't that be you and I was like that I was like um I was like mm, maybe not, mm-hmm. and then like six months later, I'm doing my blog and I'm writing. <laughs> and I'm and I'm writing. And my first blog is about like be, how to um on being a godly woman and and mm-hmm. mis- and like attacking misogyny in the church and all these things which I was which I thought were just so inbred embedded that I couldn't do anything about it. But mm-hmm. but see, it takes people like us, and I think that's such a it's so funny because that's almost to the T like how my show came about. <laughs> I was, I had spent, like, I, I thought of my show two years before I started my first episode, so that tells you, like, I really argued with God on what he was telling me I needed to do for a while, but I was the same way, I was like, nobody listens to me anyways, like, why am I important, but I was, I would get on, and the main thing was Twitter, I would get on Twitter, and I would see people slandering the name of Christianity, and their defense was, examples of people who I'm like that is not Christianity that's not there are people who call themselves Christians but that that is not Christianity I'm not I can't sit here and tell tell you where somebody's soul is I'm not going to say they are not a Christian but I can tell you the things that they're saying and doing are not what my Bible just told me I need to be believing <laughs> so if my Bible says we're all about love grace and no I literally have no place to judge and every person you're giving me as an example does all three of those things. <laughs> like it's against all of those. So I'm like, there's a moment where Christians or people who label themselves as Christians, and I think, and it's the responsibility of the church, really. The church used to be the pillar of the community. The church used to be responsible for providing the most resources, for feeding the hungry, for clothing, um, you know, those without, for taking care of women. That was the refuge. That was originally the purpose. The original missionaries, that was the first real job women could get. They could travel and go with the men because it was seen as honorable work. So there was a place for us. That was, that was the refuge. And then the church decided, no, we want offerings and we want tithes and we want expansion. And so they settled in one place, they built a building and they started creating propaganda to make people feel like they needed to come into their place. That's why there's no, they don't wanna have two churches on one block because now it's competition. And that was never the structure of it, right? <laughs> so, so then I'm seeing this whole, um, this aggression, this anger about the faith. And I'm like, where did we stop the analytical thinking? Where did we as Christians start saying, oh, they put the Christian sign up on their door. So that must mean Christian stuff is inside. Oh, my God. I hate that. I, I <laughs> honestly, it doesn't matter if I have bathing suits all on the window, a surfboard on the roof and a, a picture of the ocean on the front of the building. If you come inside and all I sell is tennis shoes 
I am not a swimsuit store. I am not a beach store. It doesn't matter what I put on the outside of my building. It doesn't matter what title. That was inside. And it's about God. I don't make that up. That's not a quote. This is scripture telling me. It doesn't matter. But God has also told us, now this is where the conversation really gets challenging. If someone doesn't know the name of Jesus, but he does abide by Jesus, by the principles of Jesus Christ, and he finds Jesus within his spirit, which God in scripture has said he can do through your consciousness and through abiding your consciousness, you have gained access to him. Because he said, I can I can reach those who have never heard my name. So if that is also true, then there are people who never found the name of Christianity who also, you can argue, are Christian, are more okay. Christian than people who name themselves as Christian, which that is. I don't know if you agree with me. <laughs> I do. I, I, I feel you, honestly, because I think there are a lot of Pharisees who are calling themselves Christians. And I say I say I say that very specifically because they always a lot of these people argue when they're busy judging and doing everything Jesus preached against. They say, oh, Jesus judged some people, too. But do you know what is ironic was that Jesus Almost in every situation I've read in the Bible, like you can correct me if I'm wrong. When I see Jesus um, judging, it is the religious dog. It is the real. It is the establishment. It is the religious people who are tr- who are not understanding the spirit of of God, rather they're obeying the law rather than the spirit of the law, and which is and the spirit of the law is. This is why Jesus said, "Love God and." love other there are no greater laws than these love god and love others because that was the spirit mm-hmm. of the law however these people were too fixed on the law they did not remember the spirit mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's why when jesus healed on the sabbath they were like oh why is he healing on the sabbath but they didn't understand the spirit of the law they didn't understand the spirit of the law was, to, was to love god and love others and healing on the sabbath was adhering to that mm-hmm. and that the love that healing on the sabbath was was it while there was a that while there is a law that you should um make the sabbath holy healing on the sabbath is more is more is more important loving god is more important than keep than important. keeping the sabbath uh, sabbath holy Absolutely. and you need to understand the spirit of the law when you're obeying the law and i think a lot of these people have become so fixated with the law rather than understanding the spirit of the law absolutely i think the irony is you look at moses who is literally adopted into the son of, a, of the ruler of this entire kingdom to come to find out he's a Jew, what does he do? Steps away from his power. He abandons the throne. He literally runs and hides and goes finds his family and is lost for, I don't know, however many years before they ever discover that he's the ruler of a kingdom. He abandoned that power. He sacrificed it when he found out where he was supposed to be, when he heard the word of the Lord. So to seek out power because you're a christian that's that's what the and i keep using donald trump but that's the, there's a million people who label themselves as christians political figures be or, or entertainment figures who say because i'm a christian because i'm under this umbrella of this faith you ought to give me your money you ought to give me your votes you ought to give me more power more attention false you should want to sacrifice as much of that as you can if you're really abiding by the word because the what did the same thing Abraham do? <laughs> he sacrificed. When God, when he heard the word of the Lord, he gave more. He sacrificed it. He didn't take more claim to these things. And so if you're sitting here and telling me that because you're with my God, I owe you something, you're not with my God because my God would never say that. My God would never ask you. I would never ask that. 
you would want you would you you should actually be seeking how you could service me better if, if that's truly what you do absolutely we're kind of <laughs> yeah. from the mental health topic but it, it all loops back in because what happens is when you have these false claimers of the faith they get to decide the image of somebody who carries the faith and this false image of this person who has to be perfect and and follow this this rule book that they they've made up they've decided what rules were most important it's okay for a politician to lie we've decided politicians that they are innately liars oh but let him say he's LGBTQ or something. Now all of a sudden he's damned. What? Where do we? What, what scripture are you guys picking? I I I just I just don't understand the judgment. I I don't understand the judgment and the condemnation. I I, I don't understand it. And I don't understand it anymore because I remember as when I was younger as a child, I used to have that judgment and condemnation because I was raised in the church and I was raised to have certain beliefs that I think quite frankly are toxic and repugnant now. But mm. as I've gotten older and like I started to analyze those views and I started to um, hang around with people who made me challenge those views, I understood why those views are repugnant and why and the problem of hearing one narrative. I think I think the same I think the problem exists in the church of you're hearing one narrative and whether it's mental health or whatever the topic is you're hearing one narrative which is the narrative of the ideal white straight man who doesn't struggle with mental health has a happy family um presentably like it presents a happy family and that is what Christianity is and that is what Christianity has been established as, mm-hmm. and which is why in a which is why a lot of people who can't meet that standard either because of their race or either because of their race, their ethnicity, their gender, or whatever else, Absolutely. they have adopted this idea of oh, I don't need I I don't like I don't need therapy, I don't need medical medical help, mm-hmm. I have Jesus, and I'm like. I don't need ment- uh, medical health or, or anything else when they don't realize that these things are there to help you in supplement with the gospel with in supplement with the gospel and right. I actually believe those are fruits of the gospel but absolutely, uh, that- absolutely. the devil is trying to steal us away from us I think you said it so perfect with this narrative it's that you're hearing this one narrative and who wrote it because it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't, my, that's not scripture. I can, you can read uh, pages of the, of the Bible, learn about Christian apologetics and see the defense is not there for this, this one perspective. So whose is it? And that narrative comes from somebody who wants power over us. All the people who are most affected by these false beliefs of the, the stigmas against mental health, since we're on that topic, I'll stick with that. Who is most affected by it? I'm not even just going to say this as an opinion. I mean, statistically, who is most affected people by of color. People of color and women. <laughs> so, so if you're looking at how this is, like black women is number one. Black oh, men okay, follow after I, that. Can I make a correct a correction before, like, before you go? Oh, into, please. Um, because I I know some people might say, oh, white men um die more from suicide. 
However, the attempt rates are equal. It's just women are more yes, likely yes. to be saved. If the attempt rates are equal between men and women, check any statistics yes. you want, but continue. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You're right. And also because white men have more access to weapons and because it's typically uh, societally done for, it's okay for them to be aggressive. And so for them to have more aggressive measures of suicide, which are typically more successful measures of suicide, whereas women go for things like pills or other things that typically fail often. So anyway, there's other layers to that, but yeah. Specifically, though, the people who are greatly affected are the ones who happen to be the ones out of positions of power. But look who benefits the most from that, this false stigma about mental health. White men, <laughs> white people. I mean, in general, people who are holding positions of power, it benefits them to have this belief. And that's the devil's best trick. He wants that. He's, he's it's, it's doing what he always does, using scripture to fuel things that do not need to be fed. When we continue to perpetuate that, and even us as the ones who are now the victims, it's up to us to say, you know what? No, it is not humble of me to ignore my suffering. It is not, doesn't make me a stronger woman to suffer silently. It, to carry this load alone didn't build me up. All it does is bring me down more and more every day. It just gets heavier and my body grows weaker. And the devil convincing me that that's what I'm supposed to do I just let him win. I'm, I'm, I'm accepting the defeat and I'm almost letting it happen to myself now. Now that's that piece of where, where although mental health absolutely is something else, I believe is a sickness that takes over you. There is also this piece where you have to choose to get out of that. You can't just say, it's gonna suddenly make itself better. I'm gonna pray it away and it'll disappear. I'm just gonna hope that this will, that my circumstances will all be resolved enough that I can be happier, I can be healthier. No, you have to choose to be better. You have to choose to get better. And to choose that means you've got to get the help. You've got to get the resources. You have to treat it, like I said, any other sickness and aggressively attack it because falling into this, this false belief that, that this narrative, like you said, is again, allowing somebody to oppress you with a lie, with something that's never been scripture. It is fruits of the spirit. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's, and it's, a, it's I, I just wanna say um, the, the, um, the phrase, um, black people don't need therapy, we have Jesus is, is, <laughs> is false. It's, I cancel that statement completely. Absolutely. It's, it's completely nonsensical absolutely nonsensical and also, we need it the most <laughs> we need it we need therapy we need health care we need adequate resources we don't we don't want to smile in the in the face of oppression i'm sorry i'm we're tired of smile what like some of the strongest okay i will say this the strongest people i know are black women the most resilient people i know are black women. They, the way the way black women fight like I, I always say that black women in my life, my mom, my sister, are some of the strongest women you will ever meet. And they will fight and fight and fight to have to have an equal and to have an equal sitting on the table. And I'm sorry, I'm tired of them fighting. We should we shouldn't have to fight for it. We shouldn't have to demand it. It should be there. And whether this is in church, whether this is in hospitals, I don't, we need a seat at the table. And I think fundamentally this mm -hmm. conversation about mental health, the, um, the Christianity and um, um, femininity and blackness, I think comes down to having a seat at the table and giving us Absolutely. a seat at the table, giving people um, 
um, whether they're male or female, the a seat at the table for mental health advice and irrespective of their ethnicity, access to affordable healthcare. Because as you mentioned yes. earlier, there was the barrier of cost. And yes. I just want to end this conversation here because we've had a really long, really good conversation. <laughs> I I absolutely loved it. I, I think we hit the, you hit the nail on the mm -hmm. head. And I want to end this with a prayer because I don't think you, we could end it any other way. So do you want to pray? Do you mind if I add like one little piece to your statement before we wrap up the conversation? I also want to kind of mention for two things. One, we need to take away that is the biggest compliment to say, because I love that you said Black women are the strongest women. I know because they know how to fight the hardest, but I don't think they need to be the ones fighting. That We need to take away this idea that it is a compliment to say that Black women or Black men are so powerful and so strong because of how much we suffer. That's not true. That's not what makes us strong. What makes us strong is that we're still here despite how much we suffer. We should not have to suffer. That is not what makes you this, this most amazing, incredible and powerful thing. Although it is a testament to how much God is pouring into us because we're still here. We're still resilient. And then part two, you do not have to feel unhealthy to seek out healthy resources. Therapy, I've been going, like I said, for years now, I've been off of mental health medications for years. I've been able to support myself. People see me as a resource, yet I still go get help. Yet I still talk to my therapist weekly because it is like getting, it's like working out to me. It's like going for a walk. It's like hanging out with my cat. It's a healthy, good thing. So if you have access to be, if, if it's not a therapist, that's not the only structure for mental health. And I'm sorry if that seems like my only example, but if it's devotionals, if it's time alone, if it's meditation, whatever it is, if it's find your writing, I, I find things <clears throat> therapeutic. I, I do find things really, therapeutic. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a recreational therapist. So our forms of therapy were literally through, we would do reading, we would do drawing, we would get creative guided meditation. People take you through uh, or guided imagery, whatever it is. Find those resources for yourself. If your listeners, if I can encourage them for anything, even when you're feeling good, when you're feeling great, actually, that's the best time. Go find what, what is making you feel great. Write those things down and use them often so that you build up an armor for yourself. And so you don't have to suffer to be to seek out help. You know what I'm saying? And yes, please, please do pray. I think this is a fantastic conversation. I just wanted to make that note. You don't have to suffer to, to, to have healthy things. <laughs> I completely agree with that. I just want to say, I want to thank you, Jesus, for this conversation. I want to thank you for what, for the way you've spoken through me and Abby, and you have used us as vessels for your work. I want you, I, I want you, to, Lord, please work through us to help anyone struggling with mental health to get the help mm -hmm. they need in Jesus' name. Make help them help the, if it's just one person, Lord, help them, help them get the, help them make that call that changes their life in Jesus' name. Help us, help us. Um, Help us help those communities which are most affected by mental health in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Can I just add? Um, thank you for allowing us to be vessels. Um, like Ariel said, I want to give my gratitude that you've gifted us with the resources that you have, that you've protected us this long and managed to, to heal over our minds and so and give us the gift 
to share that with other people. Um, this is not us alone. This is not me speaking. This is not Yo-Yo speaking. This is you speaking through us. And that is such a wonderful gift to us. I pray that it is received by any, like Yo-Yo said, even if just one person, to give them the confidence to embrace you and to trust you more than anything. Let them know, Lord, that it is worth it. It is the most amazing experience. And my gratitude goes to you. Thank you for this time and this experience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 